It's after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Oh, 
Shete hei le 
All-Star CD, volume number two, with Kella Doan. It's going back a little while. Let's see, when was that released? That was released, uh, oh gosh, was it close to 20 years ago or so? Unbelievable. Uh, before that, Lipa had Leap of Faith, or at least uh, from the album Leap of Faith, he had uh, Rachel. Schwebel Scharf and Levine with Curry Bone from years ago. Shlomo Simcha and his uh, CD Shabbos with Shlomo Simcha with Lotevoshi and Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Friday. It's August the 23rd, day 17 in the month of Elul. We get closer and closer to the end of 5773, Tafshinai and Gimel. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Kisavo with candle lighting time at 723 on this Erev Shabbos, 723. Your official candle lighting time. There are still synagogues beginning earlier than that. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 70 degrees, 83% humidity. Winds in north at 8 miles an hour. Mostly cloudy today with a high temperature of 84. Then tonight, partly cloudy, low temperature 64. Tomorrow, mostly sunny for Shabbos. All right. High temperature of 80. Excellent. Uh, Yerushalayim, Tel Aviv, they're at 88. Haifa at 86. A lot at 99. Hope you have good weather no matter where you are. 70 right now in Jersey City as we say good morning at JM and the AM. Coming up about an hour and 10 minutes from now, Malcolm Honeline. Uh, we'll do the weekly update, go through some of the events of the last couple of weeks. See if we can figure out what's happening in this crazy world of ours. It might be possible to figure out. You never know. Not everything has to remain a mystery, right? <laughs> uh, coming up at 9 o'clock, Naomi Nachman, a fresh edition of Table for Two, perfect for Erev Rosh Hashanah. We'll tell you about it later on. 
10 o'clock Eastern Time. Our music mix begins for an era of Shabbos, and it is spectacular. It could take you through the entire day with just incredible Erev Shabbos selections. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Siegel on the web with Avrami. Sunday, it's um, JM Sunday with Matis in the morning. And uh, what can I say? Just uh, the great programming continues all through the weekend and all through the uh, week here at JM in the AM and jmintheam.org. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Thanks for tuning in to 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, where uh, Yaakov Moshe Golding had his Bar Mitzvah celebration last night. And it was great being there. And around the world on the web, jmtheam.org.
7 o'clock on a Friday morning. Candlelighting 7.23 later today. Nochi Krohn with the uh, uh, selection entitled Rabos Machshavos. This is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. 
Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Got the um, Gal Galats in the background, which means Galatzal News should be coming up. Had trouble with the uh, timing of our newscast last couple of days. Naomi Nachman with a must-listen show. If you are somebody who spends a lot of time at the beginning of the Rosh Hashanah meal with Simonim, the symbolic foods, and the Shechianu, the brand new fruits, you want to listen to Naomi Nachman today, starting at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, right after JM and the AM, on our stream at jmandtheam.org. Table for Two is the name of the program. Erev Shabbos Music Mix begins at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. You want to make sure to be tuned in as well, because uh, all day long... The Erev Shabbos mix continues, and there's no better way to prepare for the holy day. Erev Shabbos Parshas Kisavo, candle lighting time at 723 with 70 degrees, mostly cloudy. High temperature of 84. Tonight, partly cloudy, low 64, mostly sunny for tomorrow with a high temperature of 80 degrees. Our Rosh Hashanah brand new year celebration for JM and the AM is scheduled for this coming Wednesday morning at Cedar Market at 646 Cedar Lane. In Teaneck, New Jersey, we're coming out to Bergen County to wish everybody a Shana Tova Mituka. And I thank the folks at Cedar Market, the brand new store on um, Cedar Lane, for opening up their doors to us beginning at 6 o'clock in the morning this coming Wednesday. So come on by, say hi, and of course, we'll wish each other New Year's greetings as we get set for 5774. How do you like that? So that's the plan for Wednesday. Put it in your calendar, folks. Tomorrow night, it's Saturday Night Seagull on the web with Avrami. Sunday, it's JM Sunday with Matis starting at 7 o'clock in the morning Eastern Time on Sunday. And, of course, so we are back here on Monday morning here at JM in the AM. Oh, today is Matis and Karen's anniversary. Happy anniversary, Karen and Matis wine guests from all of us here at JM in the AM. All right. That is great. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday next. Boker Tova, JM in the Galitzal, Ashar Stein. Zoraim Tovim, Kan, Eran Eliakim, Ima Shikore Achshav. Al Af Halachat Sabel Lumim, Nesi Surya Asad, Adain Monet, Knisatam Shel Pakachaya Um, Lezor Ason, Bedamesek, Kaet Hamordin, Yetru Kesher, Ima Pakachim, Vemenasim, Lavir Lem Reayot, Meashetach, Nama Ertashik, Medavachat. קבוצת פעילים סורית טוענת כי אספת גימות של שיער רקמות ודם מנפגעי המתקפה הכימית שהקטה מחוץ לדמסק שלשום במטרה למסור אותן לצוות פקחי האום שנמצא במרכז העיר. לפי הדיווח בסוכנות הידיעות רויטרס, הפעילים יצרו קשר עם צוות הפקחים ותיאמו להבריח את הדגימות אל בית המלון בו הם שוהים באמצעות שליחים. לפי דיווחי המורדים יותר מאלף בני אדם נהרגו במתקפה של צבא אסד, ביניהם ילדים רבים. נמל התעופה בחיפה נפתח מחדש, אך עדיין לא באופן מלא. אלדר גילרן מדווח. לאחר שאמש נסגר הנמל כתוצאה מירי הרקטות לעבר אזור הצפון, הבוקר אישר צהל לחדש את פעילות תנועת הטיסות המסחריות וטיסות המסוקים במקום. עם זאת, תנועת המטוסים הפרטיים טרם שבה לפעול. הטיסות בקו אילת חיפה שתוכננו לסוף השבוע הנוכחי תתקיימנה כמתוכנן. ישראל לא תעבור לסדר היום על כל ירי או פרובוקציה לעברה, כך אומר שר הביטחון משה יעלון. בסיומה של הערכת מצב שקיים עם הרמטכ"ל בעקבות האירועים בצפון, אמר יעלון, מדינת ישראל רואה בממשלת לבנון אחראית למתרחש מתחומה, לא נאפשר לכל גורם שהוא לשבש את חיי אזרחינו. ובתוך כך צבא לבנון מודיע, ישראל תקפה לא רק מהאוויר. אחד הטילים שנורה אל עבר היעד מדרום לביירות הגיע מהים. 
כתבנו ג'קי חוגי. בהודעה צבא לבנון נמסר כי ספינה של חיל הים ירתה טיל לאזור ואדי נעם מדרום לביירות. היעד היה מטה של החזית העממית לשחרור פלסטין, המפקדה הכללית, ארגונו של אחמד ג'יבריל. איש לא נפגע נמסר בלבנון והטיל יצר בור בעומק חמישה מטרים. קודם לכן נמסר מארגונו של ג'יבריל, נגיב בזמן ובמקום המתאימים. ניסו להסתיר סולר במסווה של גלידה. שני תושבי אום אל פחם חשודים בגנבת קרוב ל-400 ליטרים של סולר. השניים הסתירו את המכלים ברכב לחלוקת גלידה, והם טוענים כי רכשו את הסולר כדין. כתבנו גיא ורון מוסר כי הם הובאו להארכת מעצר, וגרסתם תיבדק על ידי המשטרה. מזג האוויר לסיום, ירידה קלה בטמפרטורות, שיעלו שוב בתחילת השבוע. אלה החדשות שעורכת ענבל אלבז.
מלוכים יחופזו
בורץ אשר יעשה טוב ולא יחטוא תוספי סדרים. נשתו אמן שויף דר ולט אפילו הצדיק. Yeah. <laughs> 
Jam in the AM. My thanks to Norman Laster, another great edition of the Neshama program. Some amazing Yamim Narayim selections from Kent Yitzchak Mayor Helfgott, including Zachrein Lochayim and Uvashofar Gadol uh, from a CD entitled Habet Mishamayim. That is just amazing. Jam in the AM, good morning. It's Friday on this August 23rd, day 17 in the month of El, getting closer and closer to the end of the year 5773. And the closer to the beginning of the brand new year, 5774, which is a week from Wednesday night. Candle lighting at 723 on this Arab Shabbos Parshas Kisavo. Is this the next to last Shabbos of the year? Yeah. Next to last Shabbos of the year. Mostly cloudy with a high temperature of 84. We're at 70 right now. Check out our Facebook update page, Jewish Radio World with Nachum Siegel. And on Twitter at Nachum Siegel Net. By the way, I got to thank uh, the person who tweeted out last night's Spin Class show. A lot of unbelievable commentary last evening came out of Michael Fragan's political show on our network, Spin Class, and somebody was tweeting the entire time. If you check out those tweets, you will see some great analysis of some of the elections that are going on over the uh, uh, over this election season. Some great analysis. And you get just, just, I didn't even hear the show last night, because I was at the Golding Bar Mitzvah. But I just watched Twitter on our, uh, on our uh, feed, and our, on our handle, and uh, it's just amazing uh, what you can gain from it. So you can check that out. Mazel Tov to Yaakov Moshe Golding, and to Sarah and Ding, and everybody. We had an amazing time last night up at the atrium at the uh, beautiful Bar Mitzvah celebration. Great to see a lot of old friends last evening. It was really great to see a lot of old friends. Mazalto from all of us here at JM and the AM. Reminder that Chazak's first annual dinner takes place at Leonard's of Great Neck this coming Monday night. They are celebrating the completion of a brand new Sefer Torah. Among the awardees, um, uh, Dr. Paul Brody, Dr. Joseph Frager, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Isaac Abraham, Mr. and Mrs. David Mayroff and family, Mr. and Mrs. Benny Yunatanov, I hope I have that right, Mr. and Mrs. Richard Harris, Assemblyman Michael Semanowitz and Rabbi Rafael Baruch Zavulanov. Mazal tov to all the honorees. The guest speaker on Monday night is Mr. Michael Reagan, son of the former President Ronald Reagan. And um, it's happening at Leonard's. Chazak's first annual dinner happens in Great Neck this coming Monday night. Michal Przansky is going to be entertaining everybody. Information Chazak.org. C H A Z A Q. Dot org C H A Z A Q dot org or dial nine one seven six one seven three six three six nine one seven six one seven three six three six. Want to thank the Jewish Press. They have honored me by asking me to uh, moderate this coming Monday night's mayoral forum. It'll be the Republican mayoral forum this time around. This Monday night at the Borough Park Y on Fourteenth Avenue. We're going to begin by eight p.m. If you have a question you want to ask the Republican mayoral candidates, you can submit it to S. Greenwald at jewishpress.com. Make sure the subject line says mayoral forum. S. Greenwald at jewishpress.com. We look for, the first one was amazing, the Democratic one. We're looking forward to a good one this coming Monday night as well. Uh, so check that out and enjoy. Don't forget that we will um, be Wednesday. Uh, we'll be celebrating the New Year on Wednesday. That's right. One week before Rosh Hashanah, we'll do our Rosh Hashanah New Year celebration in Bergen County at the brand new Cedar Market on Cedar Lane in Teaneck, New Jersey. We come out this coming Wednesday for the um, Rosh Hashanah celebration with Cedar Market as our host. So uh, make sure to come on out and say hi. 
We'll wish everybody a happy and healthy and sweet new year. I know it's difficult to get into the spirit of Rosh Hashanah on August 23rd, but we're doing our best. Believe you me, we're doing our best. Unbelievable. Did we do our, did we do our, um, Elul chauffeur blowing? I don't think we did. So we got to do our Elul chauffeur blowing. And then I was, um, I was privileged to get the brand new Avramel CD. Avram Fried is out with a brand new CD. And uh, it is entitled Avram Fried Amachaya uh, and other Yiddish songs. There is a song on it called Amachaya. Someone last night at the uh, bar mitzvah told me that the bench bench selection is amazing. So we'll do our Elul chauffeur blowing and then head into a brand new Avram Fried CD coming up right here at JM in the AM. And a reminder, just a few minutes from now, it's Malcolm Holmline who will be joining us, the weekly update. Returns 7.40 this morning Eastern Time. Keep it here for the next few minutes, and you'll hear the beginning of our weekly update coming up at JM in the AM.
real role all of our shulans that convince me that we sind in the nicha. I'm gonna love you, baby. 
Shlomo Katz's Curry Bone you'll find on the Live in Melbourne double CD. Before that, brand new Avramo, Avram Freed, brand new from a CD entitled Amachaya. Bench is the name of that one. Bench, Bench is the name of that one. And uh, came highly recommended by somebody at the Golding uh, Bar Mitzvah last night. Mazdov again to uh, Sarah and Ding and the entire family from all of us here. And of course, Yaakov Moshe from all of us here. At JM the AM, 747, 13 minutes before 8 o'clock. Reminder, our friends at JewishWorldReview.com continue to provide some amazing articles every single day. And Friday is no exception. We uh, wish everybody at Jewish World Review a Shana Tava, a happy, healthy, and sweet new year. You can check out their homepage. They have an amazing article by Benjamin Hecht, uh, which is um, uh, highlighted right there on the front. And also uh, Caroline Glick. On the topic of, never since America's founding has the U.S. appeared so untrustworthy, destructive, irrelevant, and impotent. You could read Caroline Glick's comments in detail <laughs> uh, regarding uh, uh, that statement if you go to jewishworldview.com. And we thank them for highly recommending us as a live music stream to their amazing readers. Check out our stream all day long, jmnam.org. Naomi Nachman follows at 9 a.m. this morning on jmnam.org with a must-listen if you're one of those families that spends a great deal of time or even a small amount of time with the Rosh Hashanah Simonim, the symbolic foods, and the Shechianu, the new fruits. You're going to be intrigued by the hour we have between 9 and 10 this morning with Naomi Nachman. Check it out at jmnam.org. And, of course, our Erev Shabbos music stream continues all day long if you go to jmnam.org and keep it there. All through the day. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for the weekly update on this Friday morning. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Oh, good morning and welcome back to you from your very exciting trip. Thank you. You sound so chipper this morning. Wow. What do you know of the health of the 64-year-old Prime Minister after his hernia surgery? Uh, He is fine. He's back at work. He had some discomfort for a couple days afterwards, but... Uh, by all accounts, thank God, well. Malcolm, I bet you he had a different doctor than I had when I was in the hospital last Wednesday night with a broken elbow, and not because, not just because it's orthopedics. Here's my statement after my research during those hours. You ready? Doctors don't make a lot of money in Israel. Very little. It very. I, I was shocked that I the, the experience was worth it just for what I found out behind the scenes in these hospitals. How do they encourage people in their country? In our country, how do they encourage people to go into the medical field? Well, it is a, a big problem. For a while, Israel had the most doctors per capita, and uh, as you know, have some form of, so- of socialized or collective medicine. Right. With the 
uh, all the coverage from the Kupat Cholim type organizations, and you have HMOs, etc. But it, it is coming to a crisis, and you see the economic problems that some hospitals like Adasa face, and uh, they don't have a resolution yet on the part of the government of, uh, in finding the right formula for this. And doctors then go into private practice where they can make more money, but then it leads to a lot of population unserved if, if too many do that. Oh, so that's the that's the secret. You want, a, you want a private job where someone can actually make a real living, or, unfortunately, a lot of people, from what I heard, are just staying in the United States and other countries and either commuting to Israel or just staying outside of Israel. Simple as that. There are people who do that, and then there are doctors who, can, who become analysts who can check and read MRIs and CAT scans. Right over the computer. Right. Yeah, that's become a big field as well. Well, good to hear the Prime Minister is doing better. Thank God. Very interesting couple of weeks. First of all, can you confirm that Israel has, in fact, hit a terrorist site in Lebanon this morning, and why did they do it? Israel, uh, for the first time in a long time, actually bombed a site a little south of Beirut, which may have been the place where the rockets originated or the group responsible for the three rockets that were fired at Israel and uh, across the northern border that did cause damage. One of the rockets was taken down by the Iron Dome unit that was assigned to the north. It's the first time it's been used uh, in the north. And, uh, in fact, one of the rockets hit right near an old-age home with several dozen Holocaust survivors. So you can imagine the trauma of that. Uh, So Israel had to, and I'm saying had to advisedly react because... If you don't uh, draw a red line, as we see in Syria, as we see everywhere else, and hold to it, and if they think that they can act with impunity, and Israel tolerated a lot with these errant firings across the border, it started retaliating every time you know a border hit, a rocket hit across the border, even if it wasn't, in their judgment, intentional. Uh, but you have to draw the line, and this is an escalation. And the question is, was it done? To divert attention, was it a rogue group that uh, that engaged in the attack? What, was it a decision by Iran that they wanted to heat up things in the northern border? It, it, you can't believe Hezbollah wants to go to war with Israel. They're in no position to do it. They know what the result will be. So we'll have to find out exactly who was behind it, but I think Israel's response was proportionate and appropriate. That's always the confusing part to observers. We can't figure out the rhyme or reason when Israel decides to retaliate immediately and when not. You have to admit one of the frustrations always is, you know, why doesn't Israel react right away and do something right away? And in this case, of course they did. But we really don't know why. That's the exception. If there is no damage and if it ends in a open area where they believe that it might have been intentional and that, or it could be just a wayward shot that uh, between rebels and Syrian troops, which is what's been happening uh, along the Syrian border, then they're less likely to escalate the reaction. In this case, because it hit in a civilian populated area, they had to react in this way. They had no choice. The um, the situation, as you alluded to, Egypt, Syria, there's so much to talk about. The uh, the um, suspicion is that chemical weaponry is being used in Syria. Malcolm excused the layman's approach to this question, but is, aren't there easy methods to confirm and really find out very soon, very quickly, if chemical weaponry is used? Well, they still haven't determined exactly which weapons were used. 
uh, a lot of it is speculation about whether it was sarin gas, something Al-Qaeda and some of the rebel groups have had access to, and they've also raided a number of Air Force bases, arms depots, where they have gotten weapons, and it's possible that they got uh, some shells, chemical weapon shells. But the the I think the finger now is back to the government, pointing to the government, which certainly has the capacity the, and has the equipment to deliver it by air, by launch uh, uh, of uh, rockets. Uh, so the question is whose interest? The army was actually, the Syrian army was actually on the ascendancy at the time of the attack. And uh, so why would they resort to it? And on the other hand, why would the rebel groups fire uh, use them if they have the capacity uh, other than to create outrage and perhaps to try to, to get an international reaction. So there are a lot of questions. I know I know that Russia has joined the United States in calling for an investigation and, and for allowing the U.N. inspectors who are there now in Syria to be able to go to the site and freely examine it. Uh, there's also been subsequent bombings of the, of the location, which may make it more difficult. Yeah. Not to be skeptical, but to whose benefit is it when the words chemical weapons or chemical, you know, chemicals at all are being used against anybody? In other words, it, when there's no confirmation, it seems like maybe it's just a trial balloon, like someone's tossing out the term out there to see what the reaction around the world will be. Well, it is possible, and but it's it's hard to ignore the pictures which show people frothing to mouth. I mean, can you manufacture? Yes. But is it likely in the scale that we've seen of how many people were killed and how, and and uh, the ages the uh, the men the women and children who who were killed? It's it's hard to believe that that was staged. Although it is possible. Look, everything in Syria right now is in uproar. I just saw that thirty thousand Kurds have left from uh, Syrian Kurdistan to Iraqi Kurdistan, which could have long-term implications, which we could discuss, but the whole Kurdish issue is overlooked, but it could be very, very big long-term change in the region, and it affects four countries. A million refugees have left Syria. The, the numbers that we're talking about are so astounding, and, and the scale and the scale of fighting, and it's brutal on all sides. Uh, they have all used uh, brutal means, and you fight, and you also have the fighting within the fighting. Meaning, you have groups, the rebel groups, fighting each other. We have uh, Islamist fighters now moving north, nearer to the border with Israel. You have many things that are happening that that uh, uh, you know indicate the the uncertainty and why you can't rely on any of the reports and judgments. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs yesterday, uh, General Dempsey, said that that. If any of the rebel groups win, they're not going to support the U.S. So this idea that this is the good guys versus the bad guys is finally sinking in, and we've discussed it for a long time, that there are no good guys in this picture. Uh, most Israeli military commentators who may watch this uh, even more closely than the ones in the United States believe that it's silly to think that the United States would launch an air campaign in Syria, especially in, in specifically in even with, I should say, uh, in light of the news about chemical weapons, do you agree that the U.S. is probably just staying put right now? I do believe that, uh, in part because the the Russians have made very clear uh, that they would intervene if there was no fly zone or they would oppose it. Certainly, I don't know that they would be willing to go to war with the U.S. over it. Uh, but um, there is a report of 
troops crossing the border from Jordan, Jordanian, American, Israeli, U.S. meaning CIA, crossing over because the attempt is to create a free zone along the border uh, of Jordan and Israel. And that was the reason why the United States sent people to train them in Jordan and why the Israelis also were invested, have drones flying over the entire area with the permission of Jordan. Uh, so that is a feasible uh, possibility, but not related to any of the chemical attacks. The air, uh, United States flying itself over Syria, unlikely. Right. All right, to Egypt. Um you know that Erdogan says that Israel's responsible for the military coup in Egypt. Of course. <laughs> and everything else, too. <laughs> uh, the other thing is that, um, the other thing, one of the other things is that uh, it is so difficult, again, to uh, always understand exactly how things are working outside of the media panicking about how many people are being killed, which is terrible, of course. But you know, outside of the numbers, they don't really tell you what's happening in terms of who's in control and who's not at this point. Was the, new, was the Mubarak release a symbolic uh, gesture by the military to show that, in fact, they're more in control than people think? I think that they have to be hesitant about releasing him and giving a cause celebre to the anti-Mubarak forces, the people who overthrew them, upon whom they are reliant right now. Uh, but the court ruled and said that he, he had to be released. He won't be released home. I think he'll be put in a military hospital for now. Uh, I, I, can't I mean that, ne- that, that never would have that, that, this headache. Right, that well. never would have happened under Morsi, correct? No, I mean, no, no you would, believe me, it would never. You won't, it would never see the light of day, and we'll we'll see yet. Don't, don't forget, this is not all the charges. This is only one charge mm. um, that was dropped uh, in regard to me. And uh, but I think let's one minute on the Turkey thing. Sure. Because Erdogan gets a pass too often. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the people laugh it off. They dismiss it. He, he went on national television, and he said in a speech to the AKP, his own party, and he holds a document and said that I have proof here. You know what the proof was? A video of a conference held in Tel Aviv in June of 2011. <laughs> and then, and, and where one of the people on the panel spoke about you know the Muslim Brotherhood's future and what the, what could happen. So this is his proof, and he goes and the, and you instigate the people both in uh, Egypt, but also in Turkey and throughout the region because it, it spreads the way it, it does. The United States condemned them right away for it, uh, but but it's the damage is done, and I think people can't dismiss it. He's facing his own problems with divisions within his party. I think a lot of people are getting tired of of some of the things that he's done, and he is one of the major violators. He's got 300, 400 generals in, in prison. He's, he, he has more arrests of journalists than any country on earth, more journalists in jail. And, you know, he was a favorite of, of the administration and uh, the model, supposedly, for the Middle East. You would still say his relationship with Israel is not dead yet, right? It's not dead, but all the promises, you know, that after Israel apologized that right. things would get better, etc., did not happen. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. 
couple of things to mention, but we'll, let's wrap up Egypt and uh, and Turkey first. He continues to play at what he considers to be a major role. He's like the spokesman for the region when it comes to what's happening in Egypt at this point. But now tell us what's happening in Egypt. In other words, we see, unfortunately, a lot of people uh, being killed and uh, riots and demonstrations taking place, members that are pressed, putting their lives at risk to get into the middle of the entire thing. But, but what is the situation governmentally? I mean, is the military, in fact, in complete control now or not? The military is in control. I don't know that you could say complete control. In the, some of the rural areas, for instance, their uh, control is very limited. Uh, we see the attacks on the Coptic churches in the southern, the southern areas, other areas. Which means Christians in Egypt now, it's worse than ever? Worse than ever. Uh, they paraded nuns in the streets. They, they have killed people. I read one heart-rendering account, but while it was the Muslim Brotherhood carried out the attack and from the mosques they're calling for them to take revenge the fact is that the police were standing by did nothing and in another case where they extricated the women and children but said we can't do anything about the men the five men who were then subsequently beaten to death by the by the Islamists so the the situation obviously is escalating all the time we will see today after the prayers in a little while what what will happen in demonstrations so far in the last few days, the Muslim Brotherhood has not been able to mobilize uh, uh, big numbers. The debate, of course, this week was over whether the United States did or did not suspend aid. It doesn't appear that they made a formal decision. They did suspend the F-16s and I think the Apache helicopters. I do not believe that it's in the United States' interest now to cut off uh, completely. Uh, you know, Egypt is an important country. We can do a lot. I think, to help move it in the right direction. Uh, the arrest of Badi, I thought the, the head of the Muslim Brotherhood and much of the leadership uh, was uh, a bold move and, and did not evoke the kind of outrage that you would have expected. And it tells you that a lot of those who turned out in the streets were not turning out because they wanted uh, a year ago to have Morsi elected. They were turning out against Mubarak. They were turning out to, to, to end corruption. But in the end, they look to the military, and it is because Egypt's a real country, and the the uh, army was is still a unifying factor, more divisive than than it was, but it's still a unifying factor. But they're getting so many Muslim Brotherhood uh, protesters, you know, saying on international television how they'd give their life for the cause. They'll die in the street if necessary. Are you saying that's just an exception? No, I think you have a hardcore Muslim Brotherhood support, which may even run to twenty percent. Uh, but the hardcore is a much smaller number. Mm. Uh, and you have the danger also that if the Muslim Brotherhood is put aside, you have the Salafis who are even more extreme. You saw the attack in the Sinai where 25 soldiers were, were bound and killed. They were hit by a rocket-propelled grenades uh, against their the vans they were, they were uh, taking in. You have violence in, in dozens of, uh, uh, of places. And, and as I said, the Muslim Brotherhood has an advantage in the, in the local level where they support for the army declines and support for the Muslim Brotherhood, where they often provide services. Uh, what, what they did do, and this has ramifications across North Africa, where Muslim Brotherhoods want, uh, Brotherhood won elections in Tunisia, uh, Libya, Morocco, uh, it belies their ability to run a state. I think that they've successfully shown that this was is not the case. I think in Morocco, they've lost a lot of support because the king said, you, you think you can do it? Here, run the state, see what you can do. And obviously, uh, they didn't. There are 
petitions to end USAID and and to break the peace treaty. By the way, in the U.S., outside of you know conservative commentators, is there a push in Congress to uh, end financial aid to each other? I mean, a significant yeah. push. Uh, you, when you, you have people like McCain and and uh, uh, Lindsey Graham and others, which is frankly very surprising, although you know he tends to be a maverick uh, uh, in some of the things that he does. Um, I understand when you see the pictures why people may call for uh, the, the suspension of the F-16s. Egypt can can go on for the next two years without American aid. Mm. After that, it would it would make a difference because the majority of the aid goes to the military. They're going to get the money from uh, Saudi Arabia and the UAE have pledged twelve billion dollars, which will carry them over. Russia has even offered to, to supplant. The United States and providing weapons, something the United States should not want to see happen. And you see the reaction where they're burning Obama's picture in, in the streets of Cairo, where you have a lot of anti-U.S. reaction, which is, uh, you know, not hard to, to manufacture there. But the, the uh, as I told on the show a couple of weeks ago, the, the uh, you have to look. There's a game-changing taking place where uh, Russia uh, presents itself as the loyal friend and is now going to step in wherever they think that the United States and the West are are losing. And the, the there is a review of the aid anyway. It's not due till September 30th. They're going to see what happens. If things quiet down between now and then, I think you'll see a continuation. If not, there could be an effort to condition the aid, to hold it up, to delay it. Uh, I think America has to be very careful not to further marginalize itself. There are too many already who believe that they support the Muslim Brotherhood mm. and uh, amongst these circles. And at the same time, you don't want to, to appear to be aiding and abetting an escalation. You, you, the U.S. looks worse the way it's standing by and looking at Syria or the way it's standing by and observing Egypt? It, they're interrelated, and it's cumulative. And they're both bad. And I think, in the, to a degree, the failure to act in Syria gives us less credibility there. But but Egypt is a different situation. The military there is an ally, and, and in Syria, we have no no party that can bring any stability. The army is the only hope, I think, right now for stability. And it should. We want to see democracy. The army has said they're not going to run. The CC said he's not going to run again. That doesn't necessarily mean in the end he won't, but but we have a side here that that reports yeah, but the e- Western, etc. But even though the military is an ally in Egypt because of the U.S. support for the election that brought in the Muslim Brotherhood, they you know we still look silly in in the in the eyes of the people. We have a real problem. Uh, there, there's no party that right now it looks favorably at us and at the West generally. West has right. proven itself impotent in the whole Middle East. We made mistakes in the way we handled Mubarak, not the removal, but how we reacted to it. Um, we're seeing, by the way, uh, also the manifestations now in the Sinai, where you have at least 15 important terrorist organizations operative, and the Egyptian army doesn't have the resources, I think, at this point to go after both, even though they bolstered the troops with uh, Israel support. But there is an insurgency going on in, in the Sinai, and it's potential also to spread to southern Egypt, uh, where the army again has has uh, I mean less control. Right. Malcolm, uh, news readers in this country continue to tell us about how high the uh, cost of oil and gas, uh, gasoline, uh, fuel is going to be uh, uh, going. Um, it, it, are, are we in fact headed toward a, toward a blockade of the Suez Canal and a real crisis there? 
no blockade of the Suez Canal. It's in no one's interest. The Muslim Brotherhood uh, the, and the Islamist forces try to blow up the bridges there. They would like to close the Suez Canal to deny the income, but it's not in the interest of the West to blockade the Suez Canal. There is enough oil that uh, in, on the market today, but the uh, uh, but I don't think that you, you're going to see anybody favoring a, a blockade except the Bay of Guys. By the way, I hate to bounce around, but uh, back to the Prime Minister for a moment. Uh, it's been announced that on September the 30th, he will in fact address the United Nations General Assembly. This will be the third year in a row that the Prime Minister addresses the Assembly. Do you know if that's toward the beginning or toward the end of the whole meeting at the UN? It's towards the end of the beginning, or certainly of the first phase. Uh. The heads of state come here on the 21st, 22nd, um, and it, you know the order is that it's heads of, heads of state, heads of delegations that speak, and then later on the foreign ministers, and by the 29th it'll be largely the foreign ministers, but the prime minister, who was originally going to come several days earlier, uh, postponed because he would have had to be here for a three-day Yontifin with a big entourage. I think there was concern about how it would appear and, and that he would be sitting there for, for three days. <laughs> so he's coming on the 29th, which is right after the October. Unbelievable. It's funny. Um, <laughs> oh, think about that, folks. Now, in 2013, we could worry about the Prime Minister and where he has to spend the three-day Yontif. Tell that to our ancestors. They would never believe it in a million years. Um, thank God. Um... And uh, do you think a year later, we know that obviously his methods on the U.N. stage last year was, was the, you know, got the bulk of the commentary, uh, and, you know, with the red line and all that. I mean, it's a year later now. Uh, is he going to be able to make uh, any type of impact? Is there going to be any, uh, it, it just seems like, and I'm sure you agree when it comes to Iran, that, you know, a year later, no one's paying that much more attention to what's happening there. In right. fact, in fact you, re- you released a statement this week encouraging people, world leaders especially, and the United States, not to let Iran continue to be under the radar and get them back into focus. Exactly, and I said that we should not let the debate over Rouhani, which is is really a false debate because he's the same. He's Khamenei's guy. His policies will be the same. He'll just put a better suit on it and try to present it in more moderate terms. But uh, Ali Akbar Valiati used to be Minister of Defense and a key aide of Khamenei said, <clears throat> that we will never, never stop our, uh, the nuclear uh, program uh, or suspend it. And, you know, you've heard it from the horse's mouth when you hear it from Zaliati. The, uh, the, the fact is that, that Iran was eclipsed by Syria, which was eclipsed by Egypt. And all the time, we, we get more reports. This week, satellite photos show again that they're pouring asphalt around the Parshin, Parshin where, where they did testing of the nuclear triggers and things. So in case the inspectors want to go there, they're trying to do everything to cover up any of the evidence uh, of it. But we're also learning of, of new centrifuges, new, new installations. And everybody's sitting here saying, well, Rouhani is 8 degrees better, not 22 degrees better. He's no better. He's not going to run the show. The decisions on all these things are going to be made by Iran. And that what they're doing, perhaps, is, according to reports, is uh, holding down the critical uh, amount of uh, of uh, enriched uranium that they're storing and instead converting it for reactor fuel and they have right now by estimates 182 kilograms at least in May which is below the red line that Netanyahu drew last year mm. and when he said you know when they get to 250 
all bets are off. And so they may be at least publicly trying to portray that they're not crossing the red line and and not having the you know the full complement that Israel had said would be the uh, the red line for them. He's speaking also at the UN. It would be funny if he brought out that diagram and and said, "No, no, no, we're <laughs> we're nowhere near here yet." Come on, That'd guys. That'd be a clever idea. That yeah. would be a very clever idea. I want to remind our listeners. I'm honored that the Jewish press has asked me again to uh, host their. Mayoral Forum. The Republicans get together at the uh, Borough Park Y this coming Monday night. Forum will begin at 8 p.m. Again, my thanks to the uh, Jewish press. Come see the three Republican candidates uh, for mayor this coming Monday night at 4912 14th Avenue. And I thank the Jewish press. Also, um, uh, Malcolm has a very, very, very busy day coming up on October the 15th when the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations has announced that they will have a gala dinner to celebrate five decades of leadership and achievement that they have made to the community. The dinner, again, is scheduled for Tuesday, October the 15th at the Waldorf Astoria. All of the uh, past chairman of the Conference of Presidents, especially those over the last 20 years since the last celebration, are going to be honored that night. Special tribute to Malcolm Honline that evening as well. There is a commemorative journal, and we are encouraging our listeners to circle the date, October the 15th. Those of you who are frustrated that you don't get to ask Malcolm questions directly, here's your chance. Malcolm, they can approach you at the Waldorf itself with all their questions about what's happening in this crazy world of ours. Absolutely, but first they have to <laughs> find me. <laughs> the phone number for information is 212-318-6111, 212-318-6111. Or you can email gala2013 at conferenceofpresidents.org. Again, that's gala2013 at conferenceofpresidents.org. And Malcolm, I don't have to tell you, you know, we have a month of Yuntif coming up. If people want to make reservations, they should hop to it, wouldn't you say so? I would say so. We've actually had a wonderful response. We, we were a very small staff, and we... Uh, started late and we're trying to catch up but the response of the last uh, two weeks since we formally announced it and sent out the letters has been really encouraging and I hope people, it's a one time shot this is not something we do often as you know that we did the last one 20 years ago and God willing it'll be 20 years till the next one <laughs> at least but, uh, uh, and it's a chance to show Hakarata Tov to the leaders who, who like Mort Zuckerman and Jim Tish and others who have given so much, Ronald Water, who served as chairs over the last 20 years, Richard Stone and uh, Alan Solo and, and many others. All of whom you said are going to walk in here and uh, speak with me before the event. I'd be happy to come there or talk by phone and mm. give you exclusive interviews and insights into the secret of the conspiracy. Yeah, I'm going to ask them all the tough questions. Um, and by the way, Malcolm said if he doesn't ask me to MC this one, he will ask me to MC the one 20 years from now. So. Already <laughs> You're already asking. <laughs> he thinks that'll placate me. <laughs> Don't worry, folks. This will be a battle that will go on until the 15th of October. And if you missed earlier in the conversation, the Prime Minister is doing well. But one thing we probably did learn, if you were listening carefully is that even though I likely had a doctor last Wednesday night in Israel who makes 4,000 shekel a month, the Prime Minister most likely did not have a surgeon in Israel that makes 4,000 shekel a month. Would you uh, would you say that's accurate there, Malcolm? Um, <laughs> it's hard to say. I mean, he did get a... It was a rush job. Oh, come but, on! They got uh, the best in the country, I'm sure. So, uh, 
I'm sure that they made sure he had it. But but the doctors in Israel are very good. You know, Israel's medical discoveries, again, we've seen things in the last two weeks. I know, but i got to stop you for a second because, you know, in the aftermath of what happened to me, I'm finding out a lot of stuff. Apparently, there's a whole category of doctors in Israel who are well-known and uh, well-versed in their field, and they supervise surgeries as opposed to actually doing it themselves. Like, they'll let... Their underlings do the surgery while they supervise. Now, I heard this from what I consider to be a somewhat reliable source. I don't know if you can confirm it or not, but apparently this is a trend that's going on over there. Well, first of all, they don't want to get their hands dirty. I don't blame them. Second, <laughs> uh, I think you will find the same thing to be true here. Is that true? Yes. So I don't think it's unique to Israel, but uh, Israel's cutting-edge technologies, both in terms of equipment, in terms of of the new medical discoveries, including something on pancreatic cancer, other things that, uh, I mean, literally every week we see the new things that are... are, that are, are being discovered and, and coming up, including new archaeological discoveries with inscriptions in Hebrew dating back to the time of the Nevi'im, and uh, a wall that that again uh, verifies Jewish history and the and the Tanakh's account. The um, uh, but at the same time, we see that the old problems in the region, which again get overshadowed. There was a secret discussion this week between the parties, uh, between the Palestinian delegation, the Israeli delegation. Um, they had a schedule because Erekat had to go away, but you see that now you're getting a lot of demonstrations and protests amongst Palestinians against the, the peace process and against the, the regime. Uh, they claim they have a U.S. letter which guarantees the preconditions, including recognition of, from, on the pre-67 borders uh, and no interim solutions, uh, which may mean that you won't have any solution. And the um, and the U.S. is sending $148 million in U.S. aid, which was just released, uh, which was budgeted in advance, but supposedly to avoid, avert a, a budget crisis. If we're doing it to pay them off, to stay in the talks, it's going to fail again. You, you can't walk to the peace table when the day, and I'm talking about Abbas now, when the day before you're standing on stage big, with big smiles celebrating with these released prisoners, these murderers. And, and, and not only with them, but the continued incitement. It's true in the camps run by UNRWA. It's true in, in many other forums. We, we have been talking about this all week again because you see that the, the uh, fact that the United States gives $239 million a year to UNRWA the United Nations Relief Works Agency to supposedly deal with the the, pal- the refugees, which is the only time where the third generation of, of refugees is still being uh, uh, are, are still being cared for. Um, so we we have to to see the, what's the basis of of control that they have, what kind of uh, form. We can't do this. The lesson of history is certainly that you can't do it on an artificial basis. And when you see in Gaza, by the way, you know, in Gaza there is an, a movement starting to develop against Hamas on the same basis as the movement against Morsi in, in Egypt. It's not going to be widespread, and I think Hamas will have learned the lesson and will crush it uh, quickly. But the very fact that they're making public statements and that they are uh, speaking out in the way that they, they are, I think it is, uh, you know, is interesting. But the situation there and the Sinai should be a warning to all to everyone and everyone in in the region this is Sinai is a wanton 
the wasteland today where you have, and it's becoming like Somalia and like other areas where it's just the base of operations. And unfortunately, the rockets on, on a lot show us that still the primary target is Israel. Uh, Malcolm, we're way behind schedule, but I got to use you for a sounding board just for a moment because I got to clear this up. Um, it, last week we spoke with a lot of lone uh, Israeli soldiers who are on their way to Israel on the plane. We actually conducted the interviews on the plane. A lot of people heard it or heard them, those conversations, uh, during the Tuesday jam and am last week straight from uh, Ben Gurion Airport after we landed with Nefesh Benefesh. And listener Sam pointed out to me that he was insulted by a comment that I made because I was going around to these lone soldiers and basically the, the first question was either, you know, what would make a lone soldier from, what would make a boy or girl from Philadelphia, Denver, Connecticut, you know, go to the Israeli army just to start the conversation. And in one of those cases, they identified themselves as a, a Camp Ramah, that Camp Ramah was uh, uh, the reason, one of the reasons that they were so Zionistically inclined. And I said something like, uh, oh, there can't be too many people in Camp Ramah right into the army, and he thought that that was, the listener thought that was an insult directly at Ramah or the conservative movement, and just the opposite. It, it was, I, I would have inserted any camp name there, and whether it was Orthodox or not, and would have said, you know, it can't be too many, which, which is probably true, that you know, the large majority are not ending up as Israeli soldiers. And what I wanted to point out was that the proof to, that that I can bring that that was my intention uh, is is that off the air maybe I should have done it on the air but off the air I think I did allude to it on the air uh, especially to my staff and people around that were um, uh, listening to us uh, you know discuss things off the air I pointed out how amazing a job because we especially with the background that I have and the people I hang out with we usually think the strongest uh, community when it comes to uh, aliyah soldiers etc is the modern orthodox community and I pointed out how unbelievable a job non-orthodox groups and parents and camps and schools are doing based on the kids that we met on this flight uh, with Nefesh Benefesh to the state of Israel and 125 and I would bet the majority of them are from the non-orthodox community are now headed or a significant number, I have no idea what the percentage is, are now heading to the Israeli army. So, Malcolm, I will tell you that unequivocally, that, and this was, again, you could check with the people around me who spent the time with me, it is unbelievable the job that is being done by so many parents and schools and camps and organizations outside of the Orthodox community. And I say it that way only because we're always lauding the Orthodox community on these issues. Uh, when it comes to Aliyah, and Israel and the future of the Jewish people. It, it just, it was so inspiring, so incredible, and I was so happy to have met so many from the diverse Jewish community uh, who are heading in that direction. So I know that. I have met many, 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 countless over the years, in fact, Ramah graduates camp uh, who were influenced, and we all know that in all of our communities, even in the Orthodox community, how much an influence the summer camps have Correct. on people, and for uh, many of these students who don't necessarily go to day school or have uh, as much formal education as the Shiva kids do. The fact is that it, the, the institutions, uh, USY and, and Ramah, really have influenced, and there are a lot of young people who went on Aliyah over generations uh, from there. But I think that the, the picture which I saw of that group from uh, the Nefesh Benefesh group, I think it was more than 125. Yeah, 120. Uh, who, who were going from on their Aliyah were landing and going right to, into the IDF. Right. I think it's an amazing statement, and and it's not surprising today. I think young people see the fulfillment and they are inspired, 
and the the uh, despite all of the problems and everything of being and many of them are lone soldiers 100% the majority of them are and if you want to read about a Ramah graduate who uh, ended up giving his life and was a tremendous hero I'm talking about Michael Levin of course who you remember um, who was who was a Ramah uh, uh, camper and if you go to a heroinheaven.com you could read all about him and I recommend the documentary to everybody so I just want to tell listeners Sam and anybody else who may have been suspicious that the way I started that that conversation was just as a way to start the conversation and believe you me I was impressed by every one of those youngsters and their parents in schools and camps it is amazing what's happening in this country and Malcolm I pointed it out to you that it, it's a different generation in my day with, with even with everything that was going on and the different situation in Israel and everything, you, you'd think that things would have been even more high-spirited and different only because it was more of a desperate situation for the state of Israel. Now we are living in, in comfort. Israel is, thank God, in a much more stable situation, relatively speaking. And yet, you still see kids from the age of nine, if you heard the interview I did with that young lady from Frisch, from the age of nine who are putting Aliyah on their agenda. It is, and, and uh, you know, with all the comforts, Right. That uh, they, they may give up. The truth is that Israel today offers everything in the other days. You know, the, I remember when people would send toilet paper and coffee <laughs> beans and, uh, you know, uh, instant coffee to Israel. Right. And look, today Israel's exporting all this high tech and all these amazing things. And how many the kids? United States. And I think the important lesson of what you're saying is it's time for us to drop the hyphenations. Oh, yeah. Look at Jews as Klag Israel, especially before Rosh Hashanah. That we are Amechad Belebechad. And how many kids said to me, it was unbelievable, without knowing what the other one had said in a previous interview. How many kids said to me, I want to move to Israel, and I feel the, uh, if I move to Israel, I have no choice. I have no choice but to join the army and give, and, and, and give my due for the state of Israel. All right, Malcolm will speak next week, Bezrat Hashem. It's a Friday morning, JM in the AM, and of course, Malcolm Online is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Dinner information for the 15th of October at the Waldorf. It's going to be a very special night. Come on out, folks. It's going to be a very special evening to meet Jewish leadership and pay tribute to them. 212-318-6111. 212-318-6111. This time each every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Kisavo. Parshas Kisavo, according to the Chinuch, contains six mitzvos. It begins with the specific mitzvah of the recitation that accompanied the bringing of the Bikurim, the first fruits to the Beis Amigdash. And basically, we are more familiar with this paragraph beginning with Vionisa Vionmarto Lefnei Hashem Elokecha because we take this paragraph of Arami Oved Avi and it has become a significant part of our Pesach Haggadah which we are Doresh which we then explain the various verses in this first opening part of the parsha. You have as well the last mitzvah in this parsha is that of the Holachto Bidrachov, literally the charge for man and specifically for the Jew to emulate Hashem. And 
the idea behind this is that we are to be cognizant that our midos, tovos, our good actions are prompted and motivated because we are emulating the ways of Hashem. The Torah tells us that Hashem visited Avraham, he was Mavakir Chola, and so do we. Torah tells us that Hashem blesses Yitzchak and at the time when after Avram passes on he is Menachim Avel to Yitzchak so do we I'd like to focus this morning on a very interesting aspect of the mitzvah of Bikurim, which the Mishnayas and Bikurim describe in detail how exactly the Bikurim were brought, and to focus on one interesting aspect, namely the baskets. A drop of, not necessarily background yet, but I'm going to refer the listening audience to Rabbi Yitzchak Zilberstein Shlita, a most prolific author, son-in-law of the late Rabbi Yashiv Zechat Tzadik Levracha, has in his third volume of Vaharivna on this week's parsha of Kisavo a very interesting question. The question being regarding a group of about ten men who study Talmud regularly together. And when it comes to a new Masechta, a new tractate, they rotate as to who purchases the Gemaras for the group. And today, with a great variety of Gemaras available, including those with many more features, such as um, Art Scroll Gemaras, Steinsaus Gemaras, uh, Gemaras whereby you have the, the kudos, the vowels and punctuation in the text. Rashi highlighted all different kinds of features. The more affluent members purchased more costly texts, and the more economically strapped individuals purchased more basic texts. And the question that was asked of Reb Zilberstein was, should the Magid Shir, the instructor of the group, make a policy that only one type of Gemara be bought in order to safeguard and protect the dignity of the poorer members of the group? So as part of his analysis of this question, Rabbi Zubashtim cites the Tosfos Yom Tov on the Mishnah Bikurim, whereby in the Mishnah in chapter 3, Mishnah 8, informs us that regarding the baskets in which the Bikurim were brought, were taught the following that the poor farmers gave their Bikurim, their first fruits, to the Kohen in baskets, and the Kohen kept the baskets, which were made from woven aravos myrtle. And the wealthy farmers, they gave their Bikurim in baskets of gold and silver 
which the Kohanim returned to their respective owners. To which the Talmud comments that Anya, poor, the state of being poor, Basar Anya Azla Aniyusa, the poor stay poor and the rich, well, they get their baskets back. So the Tosfos Yom Tov asks a very interesting question. Why didn't the rabbis make a policy that not to embarrass the poor, we should have one size fits all. Everybody should bring the same basket. Is there a precedent for this? Definitely there is. Number one, the Mishnah at the end of Tanis, found in the Gemara Tanis, on page 26b, the Gemara tells us that on Tuba'av and on Yom Kippur, the girls would dance, but they would borrow clothing one from another, so a fellow should not be attracted after a girl by what appears to be a more expensive dress in order to maintain the dignity of the poor. And not only that, the Talmud teaches in the Gemara Subos 8b that originally, and this is going to hurt you, just to listen to this, originally removing and the death or the burial, the cost of burial was a great terrible blow to the poor. Why? Because the wealthy families buried their dead in suits and dresses. And the poor couldn't afford it. So what did the poor families have to do? They would leave their deceased in the public square, in front of the, quote, municipal building, where it would be found, and it then became the responsibility of the community to purchase the garment to bury the dead of the poor. When Rabbi Gamliel saw this, he left a tzavah, he left a will, and said, bury me in plain linen shrouds, and the Talmud tells us, this has been our practice to this day. So if we have very strong precedent, whereby we take into very serious account the sensitivities of the poor, why not over here in the Beis Migdash did they not make a policy, everybody brings the first fruits in very simple baskets. So the Tosfos Yom Tov answers that the kvod of the Beis Migdash, literally the honor of bringing the gold and silver, kvod beis elokeinu umishar sav, and the honor that it afforded to the Kohanim on duty, fulfilling zakeli v'amveyu, adorning Hashem, but beautifying His mitzvos, this overrode the concern and sensitivity to the poor. Rav Zilvishpin, however, brings what I consider a most exciting Malbim who teaches that there's another significant difference between the baskets of the rich and that of the poor. The poor man 
postulates the Malbim, wove the basket out of myrtle leaves specifically for this purpose. And since it is a labor of love, reflecting his personal Mesiras Nefesh for the mitzvah, the basket itself becomes an integral part of the mitzvah. To quote the words of the Malbim, the basket itself becomes nitfal, literally part and parcel of Lebikurim. And therefore, Vishiyya la Kohen. Therefore, it goes to the Kohen. It's not simply a Hechi Timtza. It's not simply a means to an end, enabling the farmer to give the fruit to the Kohen, but rather it assumes, the basket itself assumes the status of the mitzvah itself. Why? Because the poor man who toiled and gave literally of himself in making the basket, that elevates the basket to become part and parcel of the mitzvah. And therefore it is for this reason that we honor the poor and the Kohen keeps the basket in recognition of the noble efforts of the poor. And I believe this is such a significant insight and powerful message of the Malbim. The Torah teaches that when one invests in something, it becomes an integral part of themselves. The Gemara in Bava teaches that a Adam wrote, A person prefers, literally, a kav of his own produce more than nine of his fellows. And Rashi explains why. Because he toiled to produce it, and therefore it's most precious to him. And my friends, what's true in the physical, materialistic realm is equally true in the spiritual realm as well. In Avos de Rav Nassan, Perigimel Mishnevav, it teaches Tov Mitzvah Achas Bitsa'ar, one mitzvah observed with Tsar, meaning with difficulty and challenge, is dearer than your 100 mitzvos performed with ease. And listen carefully what you had in last week's parsha. When the Torah tells you in last week, chapter 24, Pasuk 15, pay your workers on time. Biyomo titain schoro. Literally, by the end of the day, pay him. Why? Listen to what the Torah says. Kionihu, especially if he is a poor individual. Be a love who no say is not show. Now, literally, what does that mean? So, Artscroll tells you, and his life depends on it, which is correct. He needs it. But Rashi cites the Mara in Bavakama, which tells us, my goodness, that you know what's happening over here? That this individual is willing to put his life on the line for it. Construction workers, look how high they go up on the scaffolding. People who cut fruit from trees in yesteryear, hung from trees and put themselves in danger. So a love who no say es not show for his material needs as well as when one puts oneself out for the purpose of a mitzvah. And so we find, interestingly, at the beginning of the book of Tillim, whereby in the second pasuk of 
Tehilim, Kiyim Besoras Hashem Cheftso. David praises the one whose desire is in the Torah of Hashem, and Uvesora So Yegeyomombaloila. The literal translation is, and in his Torah with a capital H, he meditates day and night. But the Gemara in Kedushin 32b understands that initially it's God's Torah. But once an individual has studied it and put in the Omel and Yegiyah, he's put in the time and the effort, it's called Torah, so it becomes his Torah, namely that of the scholar. And therefore... We find similarly at the beginning of the book of Ayikra, when the Torah speaks of a karban ola. So there are those that bring a karban ola from an animal, and those that bring it on a lower level from a bird, and finally those who bring a meal offering. And just regarding those who bring a meal offering, the Torah uses the term nefesh. Why? And Rashi says, who's bringing a meal offering? Only a poor man. But a poor man who does it with great sincerity. God looks upon it as if He has given His very soul. And therefore I think that the lesson of the Malbim is most appropriate, especially for this time of the year, as we prepare for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Make mitzvos yours. The idea being that just as the poor man and his basket, the basket becomes an integral part of the of the mitzvah. And one way, how could you make mitzvahs yours? Suggest the chazonish is by studying the mitzvah. The more you understand what appears to be the technicalities of the mitzvah and the philosophical teachings, the more it'll become part of you. Ask yourself, why do we blow thirty sounds tkios to miyushav? before the Shemona Esrei? Why do we blow 30 sounds during the Shemona Esrei? Why 40 at the end? Which, what is biblical? What is rabbinic? This is just a way, suggests the Chazonish, how to make mitzvot yours. And so I believe that a very interesting lesson that comes out of this week's parsha is you should become basket-like. What does that mean? Not just do good, but please God, transform yourself to become good. Shabbat Shalom to all. J.M. and the A.M. Friday. My thanks to Rabbi Yudin. Parshas Kisavo is what we read tomorrow with candle lighting at 723 later on today. 723, your official candle lighting time. There are synagogues that begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Mazel Tov to Yaakov Moshe Golding and to Ding and Sarah. Great celebration last night on the Bar Mitzvah of Yaakov Moshe up in Muncie, New York. We say Mazel Tov. From all of us here at JM and the AM, the Chazak first annual dinner happens at Leonard's of Great Neck this coming Monday night. Many distinguished honorees, including our friends Dr. Paul Brody and Dr. Joe Frager, Assemblyman, Assemblyman Michael Semanowitz, and many, many other great honorees for this coming Monday night, the Chazak dinner. Go to chazak.org, C-H-A-Z-A-Q.org, Z-A-Q.org. Don't forget that Naomi Nachman has an amazing show coming up next on our stream at jmtheam.org. Naomi Nachman's Table for Two will concentrate on the symbols of the Rosh Hashanah Eve meal, the symbol, symbolic foods that are eaten, and of course the Shachianu fruits as well. She's got great guests on this topic coming up between 9 and 10 Eastern Time, right after JM and the AM Table for Two with Naomi Nachman all day long. 
There is no better way to start Shabbos than with our stream going all day long in the background with Erev Shabbos selections from 10 a.m. until candlelighting time. Make sure it's on in your home, in your office, on your smartphone, no matter where you are, and get ready for another wonderful Shabbos. I want to thank the Jewish Press. This coming Monday, they have invited me to host the mayoral forum with the Republican candidates this time around at the Borough Park Y on 14th Avenue. We'll begin at 8 p.m. If you want to submit a question for the mayoral forum, put mayoral forum in the subject line and write to sgreenwald at jewishpress.com, sgreenwald at jewishpress.com. Wednesday is our New Year's celebration, a week away from the brand new year, 5774. This coming Wednesday will be at Cedar Market, the brand new store at 646 Cedar Lane in Teaneck, New Jersey, for our New Year Shana Tova celebration. Make sure you're with us, folks. Uh, stop by, say hi. Wish everybody a Shana Tova. It should be a great program. And it'll happen in Bergen County, where I am told there are so many JMNAM listeners, it is unbelievable. So thank you to Bergen County. Yosef Siegel is here. Many of you may recall, before the summer, we introduced AdventuresofYosefSiegel.com. It seems that the website is uh, back at full strength after a little bit of a hiatus during the uh, Camp Missouri season. Yosef Siegel, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you very much. Good morning. Is this considered an adventure, your trip to Jersey City this morning, or things went smoothly? Thanks. We were very smoothly this morning. How's that path train? I know you like that path train. A lot of fun, a lot of fun. <laughs> did you see a lot of commuters? I did. Oh, you probably didn't because they're heading to Jersey, right? You would see commuters. I guess they're more heading to New York at this hour, right? There are more to New York, but there's still a lot going to New Jersey. Oh, very nice. So there you go. Uh, so tell us about uh, adventuresofyosefsiegel.com. I see that it's made possible by our friends at Traveler's Choice. That's right. They're not sending you to Israel for Sukkot for an adventure, are they? Uh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> that would be awesome. Maybe if you promised them a lot of good material, they'll send you, send you off for the holiday. <laughs> you think that's a possibility? I wish. <laughs> so are they tuned in this morning? you have any idea? They are, yes. He's listening this morning. All right. And what's the story? What are they doing for Sukkot for everybody? Um, well, you can check out on the bottom right side of my website. You yeah. have all the uh, Sukkot specials. You can go to Israel. What is that, direct or uh, through another country? Uh, I think it's stopping in Russia. You can go for twelve sixty-seven. Mm. Sounds like a good deal. It's not bad for this. What if you come back during Colomoy? Does it get cheaper? You don't know yet. Not sure about that. Mm. Can you find that for me? Okay. I'll see what I can do. I was thinking of heading on over and uh, coming back for the Shemini Atzeres Simchus Torah celebration. What do you think of that idea? It's a great idea. That would be considered an adventure. By the way, if you go through Russia... That's an adventure in and of itself. And that'd be the whole website. Are you kidding? <laughs> that would be the entire website. All right. Uh, update people on the different things that you're doing on the site. Uh, aside from the adventure section, which I see deals with your trip to Boston last week. It does. Uh, what else are you providing for our... So we have on the uh, top left of the website, we have the coolest news stories of the day. I'm, I'm not going to reveal them on the radio because I'd like everyone to check it out. Nice. And then on the other side, we have Today in History and the Famous Birthdays of the Week. Oh. Um, and if you if you look just around the website, the whole general structure of the website was actually redone. Nice. To- totally new structure. Nice. Um, on the right. The address is easier, right? Address is much easier. Just adventuresofyosefsiegel.com. A D V E N T U R E S of Yosef Siegel, Y O S E F S E G A L dot com. Nice. Um, on the top right corner, a little lower than the top right corner, um, you can click on my. Follow at Yosef Siegel on uh, Twitter. Uh, click on my Facebook page. Friend me. And um, we have the contact section as well on the website. 
uh, it's a form. Fill out your questions, comments, ideas, anything you'd like to tell me. Did your cousin uh, Danielle Markowitz make it to the birthday section? Did she make it to the birthday section? Unfortunately, she did not. But uh, Oh, you have to be like really famous to make it to the birthday nah, section. No, she's famous enough to make it. <laughs> did your grandmother, Gail Weintraub, make it to the birthday section this week? Unfortunately, she did not either. <laughs> did your cousin Karen Lichtenstein make it to the birthday section this week? Unfortunately, she did not either. Uh, what about a, an anniversary for Matis and Karen today? Did they make it to the uh, celebration page of the website? They did not, but maybe I should make an anniversary <laughs> oh, section. Oh, there's it. You see that? We stumbled over a brand new innovation for the website. I like there that. We All right. Everyone, please make sure to check out adventuresofyosefsegel.com. I just see, uh, looking at my traffic rankings of my website, there are, there are visitors on right now. Nice. A lot of visitors. Can you tell from what countries they're visiting? Uh, so far today, we have, from the United States, we have plenty of uh, viewers yeah. we have from germany nice and we have from canada someone just mm. all right well congratulations it's the new adventures of yosef if you thought last season's adventures were great this season's going to be amazing right certainly aside from your potential trip to russia and aside from your trip to boston that took place last week any other uh, major adventures on the schedule or you're uh, you're laying low for the holiday season i think we're going to be laying a little bit low what about staten island are you considering that an adventure for the high holidays yeah what do you think is going to happen there a lot of excitement it's a long yontif there's going to have to be a lot going on are you going to post about the shabbat shuvah drusha since we'll be there for shabbat shuvah this year uh, we'll see about that <laughs> You should ask uh, the rabbi maybe for his advanced notes. You can give a little preview on the site. How do you like that? Another great idea, huh? His ideas keep on flying. They certainly do. All right, folks. Adventuresofyosefsegel.com. And I want to thank you because today, because of my situation, you're helping me with an adventure. Uh, You're helping me with my adventure. Uh, Well, I thank you. But because I can't schlep today... You're in Jersey City early in the morning to help us schlep. You're always there. That's, that's That's an adventure you should be proud of. Uh, doing a chesed and making sure to be there when people need you. So congratulations on that. Thank you very much. And uh, you're invited to stop by again next week if you wish. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, there you go. And uh, what was the uh, through Russia, 1267? Uh, or that was direct? What was that? Was that direct or that was Russia? That's going via Russia. Via Russia, 1267, for the holiday of Sukkot. For the holiday of Sukkot, 1267. Okay. And what do they do when they call the office? They ask for Yossi? I guess so. <laughs> well, could they ask for any staff member or it has to be Yossi? Can anybody handle it there? I think, yeah. Anybody can handle it. They're good there. Yeah, they're good, aren't they? I think anyone can take it. Have you gone to visit them over there yet? Not yet, but I'm... uh, you got to see their new headquarters. Yeah, they're having a new website also. By the way, it's walkable from your house. Really? Yeah, it's less than two and a half miles. That's cool. You could do it or bicycle over there. Maybe head on over today. Hopefully they'll make my adventure page. That's right. Then you head on over there on Broadway and you'll have another... Amazing adventure. Yosef Siegel, check out adventures of com. This is JM in the AM.
from this week's Parsha, Baruch Levine, Hashkifa, on a Friday morning at JM in the AM. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, candle lighting at 7.23. Time to say good Shabbos at JM in the AM. Oh. 
Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world in the web, jmtheam.org. Wraps up a great week here at JMTheam. Naomi Nachman is next on the stream at jmtheam.org. And of course, great Shabbos music all day long if you keep it on the stream. Make sure to do so. Saturday night, Siegel with Avrami tomorrow night at 10 p.m. Eastern Time on the stream. And Sunday morning, it's Matis with JM Sunday starting at 7 o'clock in the morning. Speak to you Monday, everybody. Have a fabulous Shabbos, a wonderful weekend. Until Monday morning, it's Nachum Siegel reminding you. Remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.